Good morning. It's good to be back with you again, to have the opportunity to uh, share the word of God with you. And this morning, I'd like you to please turn in your Bibles or open your tablet or whatever device you're using to um, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Please follow in your Bibles as I read, beginning at verse 19. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who would genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed, because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Let's pray together. Lord, we are grateful for the word of God. And I pray now that you would open our minds to understand your word that we would listen and hear you speaking to us by your Holy Spirit through your word as to what you want us to think and do. Help us to believe your word as it is revealed to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I have been asked to preach the final message in the series on heroes. And as we conclude this series today, I have a question for you. How would you define a hero? And then a second question, would you consider yourself a hero? I attempted to define the term for myself as I prepared this message, and I came up with something like this. A hero is a person who is recognized for having done something impressive beyond ordinary expectations, whether in sports or scientific discovery or danger-defying acts of rescue, as in a coal mining accident. I then checked out the dictionary, and I found out the following. A hero is, one, any person admired for courage, 
nobility or exploits, especially in war. And number two, any person admired for qualities or achievements and respected as an ideal or model. One thing that struck me about both of those dictionary definitions is they both use the word admired. In my own definition, I'd only use the word recognized. But I think the word admired is a key word when we're defining what is a hero. Who is it that we admire? These people become our heroes. A few years back, I recall hearing a story about the Hall of Fame baseball star and Yankee great Mickey Mantle. A young fan walked up to Mantle before a game, all starry-eyed and excited, and gushed, Mr. Mantle, can I have your autograph? You're my hero. Mantle responded, sure, kid, you can have my autograph, but I'm not your hero. And then motioning toward the boy's father, who was standing there, he said, he's your hero. He gets up every day to go to a job he may not even like, so you can have food to eat and clothes to wear and come to ball games like this to have fun. He's your hero. Mantle was not known for living a particularly virtuous life. But on that day, he spoke truth to that boy. Who are the real heroes? Sometimes heroes are very obvious and prominent and known. But sometimes heroes are in disguise slipping under the radar, unknown and unsung. Is it possible for us to know whom God considers a hero? As Christians, we would like to know who is it that God would point to and say, admire that man or honor that woman. Consider people like that to be your heroes. Perhaps you've seen the movie Amazing Grace, the story of William Wilberforce, a British legislator who in the 19th century, because of his Christian faith, persevered in the fight against slavery in the British Empire. And because of his efforts, slavery and the slave trade was banished in the British Empire, and then had ripple effects across the west of, rest of Western culture. Or perhaps you have read the book Through Gates of Splendor, the story of those five missionaries who went to evangelize the Aka Indians in Ecuador. And then in 1956, their bodies were found floating down the Amazon River with spears in their backs after they had made initial contact with this tribe. And then maybe you heard the story of Elizabeth Elliot, one of those missionaries' wives, and how she went back with her young daughter into that tribe, the very ones who had killed her husband and his four partners. And she went back 
to evangelize them. And by God's enabling, they became believers. And the Orca Indians then became a tribe that went down the Amazon River evangelizing other tribes who had never heard of Christ. And so maybe you've heard the story of Elizabeth Elliot or William Wilberforce. And those are heroes, certainly. Those are people that God would point to and say to us, honor a woman like that. Honor a man like that. They're heroes in my eyes. In our text today, the word of God in verses 19 through 24 directs our attention to a man named Timothy. And Paul says of Timothy in verse 20, I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. And he talks about the proven worth in verse 22. The, you know of his proven worth. Timothy was a hero. Not only in Paul's eyes, but in God's eyes. But Timothy is also one that we know a lot about. We know that he was a major traveling companion and partner with the Apostle Paul. We know that he helped the Apostle Paul uh, draft and carry five of his letters. So he's, he's also someone that God would point to and say, he's a hero. Honor a man like that. And that's what Paul does in this text with Timothy. But you know, there's another man referred to in this text. In verse 29, first of all, in verse 25, he introduces a man named Epaphroditus. And then in verse 29, he says, receive him, Epaphroditus, in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard. This man, Epaphroditus, is one that God points to and says, honor a man like that. He's a hero. I think it is probably safe to say that many of us, even Bible readers, would not have pointed to Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus as a hero. Who was this guy? He's probably unknown to most of us. And I think it's safe to say he has never been highlighted in a children's Bible story book. I've never heard a sermon telling his story. But the fact that he is unknown is actually quite an encouragement to us. Because I want you to, this morning, be encouraged and to walk out of God's house with hope in your heart. That though you may not be well known, your name is not Wilberforce or Elizabeth Elliot or Dietrich Bonhoeffer. But you can be a hero, the kind of hero that God points to and says, admire that man. Because in verse 29, that is exactly what God said. He said, receive him in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard. Who ever heard of him? 
But God says, when you do run across a man like that, hold him in high regard. He is my kind of hero. Why? What characterized this man? Well, first of all, Epaphroditus demonstrated courage. We need heard in his hometown of Philippi, Greece, that the Apostle Paul was imprisoned in Rome, Italy. He gladly accepted the church's appointment of himself to make the trip to Rome to stand by Paul in his hardship. And when he made the trip to Rome, he was going to take the financial gift that this church at Philippi had to help Paul in his need. And then he was to stay there with Paul by his side to help Paul in any way that he possibly could. Now, the trip to Rome itself would have been dangerous. Rome, Italy was about 800 miles from Philippi, Greece. If Epaphroditus had had access to an airplane, it would have taken him probably about one hour and 40 minutes. But of course, he didn't have the option of an airplane. If he had the option of a car, it would have taken him about 20 hours and 15 minutes. But he didn't have the option of a car. He would have made this trip on foot or by horseback or perhaps in a carriage pulled by a horse. And he would have had to also include the crossing of the Adriatic Sea between Greece and Italy. Do you recall what the Apostle Paul said when he was talking about the journeys that he had been on in the sharing of the gospel? In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty six, 26, Paul said, I have been on frequent journeys. And then listen to this. In dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, Dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the seas, dangers among false brethren. And Epaphroditus would have faced those same dangers as he traveled 800 miles from Greece to Rome. And then having arrived in Rome, he would have faced even a different set of dangers. Do you recall the story of Peter on the night that Jesus was arrested. And after Peter had followed the arresting officials to the courtyard of the high priest, a young girl charged Peter saying, you too were with him. Peter denied it. And you know, the rest of the story, you know how Peter was challenged three different times that night And you remember what Matthew 26, 74 says. After that third time, he began cursing and swearing, saying, I do not know him. You see, there's a danger in being identified with a prisoner. There's danger being identified with Paul, the prisoner, being tried before Caesar. For a crime. Paul called Epaphroditus in verse 25, his fellow soldier. And in second Timothy two, Paul exhorted young Timothy endure hardship with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Faithfulness to friends 
and faithfulness to the kingdom of God in times of adversity and in times of suffering requires courage. And Epaphroditus demonstrated courage. But next in Epaphroditus, we see a willingness to serve. In verse 25, Paul says that Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, who is also a messenger and minister to my need. Now, that word minister in my New American Standard translation can also be translated servant. And has a speci- that word has a special significance. In his commentary on Philippians, William Barclay explained that this word was used in Greek society for a very special group of men. In the cities of ancient Greece, there were sometimes men who did great good for their city at their own expense. They would put on dramatic productions. They would equip a warship. They would finance the training of of athletes for various competitions, all out of their own pocket. And these men were called benefactors of the state and were known as leturgoi. And that is the word that Paul uses to describe Epaphroditus. He's a servant. His acts of mercy and his generosity were apparently beyond the ordinary. He was a willing servant to Paul, seeking to benefit and bless this aging, battle-scarred soldier of Christ, now imprisoned in Rome. In Epaphroditus, we see courage. We see a generous service. And finally, we see the willingness to risk. The willingness to risk, to gamble. Look at verse 30. Because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. The Greek word used here is a gambler's word, according to William Barclay. It's a word that implied staking everything on a throw of the dice. For the cause of Christ, Epaphroditus gambled his own life. Do you recall the Old Testament account of Elijah doing battle with the 400 prophets of Baal. And at one point, Elijah challenges the Israelites and he says to them, how long will you go limping between two opinions? If God is God, then follow him. If Baal is God, then follow him. Limping between two opinions. What a temptation that is for all of us. I'm following Jesus, but not with my whole heart. Limping between two opinions. And that could never be said of this man, Epaphroditus. He was all in for Jesus. And he was willing to risk his life. Other opportunities he had, other dreams he had, other goals he had. He was willing to risk his life, it's verse 30 says, for the work of Christ, for the cause of Christ. There came a time in this man's life when God called him to gamble, to take a risk for Christ's sake. 
Epaphroditus came close to death, we're told. He was willing to sacrifice his other dreams. He was sick to the point of death, we're told. But God intervened and healed him, much to the relief of Paul. And we're challenged by the example of this man, Epaphroditus. We're challenged by his example to ask, what am I willing to risk? What am I willing to gamble for the cause of Christ? Reputation? Friendships? Applause? Honors that I might receive? Money? And how about that one God that has infiltrated our culture and has infiltrated the church? The God of self-fulfillment. The most important thing is for me to be happy. The most important thing is for me to be fulfilled. It's a false God. And are you willing to Go against the culture and the call and to, and to risk for the cause of Christ and to say, no, I'm going to be all in for Christ, whether I find self-fulfillment and satisfaction myself. I came across an article written on June 5th, 2018 by Gary Bauer. And in it, he gives, I think, a contemporary example of someone willing to gamble for Christ's sake. Jaylene Hinkle. In her case, it was not a matter of risking her health or her life as Epaphroditus had done. Her resolve meant risking her lifelong dream of playing on the U.S. women's soccer team. Jaylene Hinkle is a professional women's soccer player. She currently plays for the North Carolina Courage. Last June, she was called up for the U.S. women's national soccer team, an incredible honor that speaks highly of her abilities. But when she was called to play, the team was sporting jerseys promoting homosexual pride. And as a committed Christian who believes that God made the institution of marriage for the union of one man and one woman, Hinkle informed the team that she could not in good conscience wear that uniform. And in short, she was refusing to worship one of our new secular gods. And as a result, she was prevented from playing on the team, and she gave up the chance of a lifetime. She was willing to risk her dream for the cause of Christ. Here's how she explained her decision in a recent interview. I'm essentially giving up the one dream Little girls dream about their entire life, and I'm saying no to it. And I think that's where the peace trumps the disappointment. I knew in my spirit I was doing the right thing. I knew I was being obedient. The peace trumps the disappointment. When she risked, Was she disappointed? Yes. But she found a greater peace in her act of obedience. And I am certain Jesus would point to Jaylene and say to us, honor a woman like that. She is a hero in my eyes. 30 years ago, 
I read the testimony of Richard Rivera. It grabbed my heart then, and it still does. This man's father gambled for the cause of Christ, differently than Epaphroditus, and differently than Jaylene, to be sure. But certainly, he gambled. He took a risk for the cause of Christ. In his case, he sacrificed sleep and emotional resources in the hope that God would work powerfully in his son's life. Let me read you his testimony. The boy's testimony. As a boy, I was an asthmatic. And throughout this period, I was also a backslidden young Christian. Yet my father always prayed for me to return to the Lord. There were many times I experienced asthma attacks where I'd stay up all night wheezing. And even though I was dead tired, I could not fall asleep due to the terrible attacks. My father was a New York City taxi cab driver. He would leave for work at 3 a.m. each day. And from my room, I would hear him pray before he began his work day. In the silence of the early morning, I could hear the words he would pray to God. He'd make no noise waking up. He would not even prepare breakfast in order not to create disturbance at that hour of the morning. And the only sounds he would make were the words he would share with God as he prayed. As he passed by my room during those times of the asthma attacks, he'd ask, Richard, are you awake? Yeah, Dad. And he would then say, I haven't slept hearing you wheezing. Would you like me to pray for you before I go to work? He'd ask with such a loving tone, and I would always say, yes. And he would kneel at my bedside, and while he prayed, I would tell God, that I would change my life and I would serve him again. And in my father's prayers, he would always end up crying, begging God to allow me to fall asleep and to heal me. Many of his tears would fall on my face as he prayed and as he cried. He'd sometimes place his head against mine while praying, but each time he'd pray for me, I would fall asleep. And when I would awaken and begin the new day, I would never keep my promise to God. I once again returned to my life of sin and rebellion. Many years later, as the prodigal son, I left home. And in a moment of depression and a heart full of remorse, considering suicide, I thought of my father, his love for me, and the tears which fell on my face on those many nights that he prayed. Those tears and that love brought me to Jesus Christ. And I am glad my father lived to see me serving the Lord. And now the memories of his love continue to draw me to God. I know that God forgave me and changed my life completely. And before my father died, his tears were turned into happiness. My desire is that I would be the Christian and the father that he was. Do we have any doubt that Jesus would point to that New York City taxi cab driver and say, honor a man like that. He's a hero in my eyes. Paul described men and women like this man. He says in 2 Corinthians twelve fifteen, I will most gladly spend and be expended 
for your souls. This father gladly spent himself for the salvation and the blessing of his struggling son. A son physically suffering and spiritually defiant and confused and far from the Lord. He spent himself and no one ever knew of his tears, of his lost sleep, of his prayers. Perhaps after he died, others learned. After he'd already received a hero's welcome into heaven. Not one of us this morning will have a right perspective on heroes. If we neglect an important doctrine in the scriptures, and that is the coming day of the Lord. There is a day coming when we will hear the last word on heroes. It's going to be a day of revelation and a day when light is going to be thrown on all things. Consider first Corinthians four, six. Therefore do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes who will both, both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. That day's coming. Some heroes are well known now. Others are unknown to most of us. Yet none of them are lost or forgotten before God. And the day is coming when he's going to bring into the light all that we do not now know. And on that day, when Jesus comes, many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. It is clear that God's kind of hero is not necessarily characterized by an exceptional IQ or beauty or a skill set or anything else that is impressive to this world. When you think of the heroes, whether the William Wilberforces or this taxi cab driver, when you think of the heroes, there is a common denominator in all of them. It is a commitment to Christ Jesus that results in choices that reflect an eternal perspective. Living in light of that day when Jesus is coming and he's going to make everything known and clear. And so whether that godly hero is a British legislature named Wilberforce or a New York City taxi cab driver named Rivera, we are called to be heroes. Like the, surely the likes of the Apostle Paul or Timothy or William Wilberforce or Dietrich Bonhoeffer or Elizabeth Elliot or Billy Graham, publicly recognized soldiers of Christ, they will be honored as God's heroes on that day. But just as surely, the less well-known but equally faithful soldiers of Christ, like Epaphroditus and Jaylene and that New York City taxi cab driver and Dorcas in Acts 9 will be honored as God's heroes on that day. I close with one final example 
that I cut from the Daily Bread devotional guide years and years ago. A girl of 16 lay dying. Her life had not been easy. She had lost her mother when she was only 12, and she herself had been weakened by sickness over the intervening four years. A visitor from her church came to see her that last week of her life and asked, are you afraid to die? Oh, no, she answered quietly. But what shall I say to Jesus when I meet him? After mother died, I tried to follow her example. I took care of my four little brothers and sisters during the day while dad was at work. I kept the house and I did the washing, but by then I was too tired to do anything else. Too tired to do anything in the church. With tears in her eyes, the Christian lady took the girl's frail, rough hands in her own and said, when you reach heaven, don't say anything. Just show the Savior your worn hands. I'm sure he'll understand and say, well done. And so whatever your place in this world and whatever the task that God has assigned you, whether it is obvious before the world or leaves you obscure before the world, and whether people recognize your achievements or nobody recognizes it, Whatever your place and whatever your task, be faithful. Be faithful. Show courage. Share generously. Take risk for Christ's sake and Christ's cause. And Jesus will point you out as a hero on that day when he brings everything to light. Please join me in prayer. We thank you, Father, for your word. And we thank you through this text of scripture for showing us this morning that not all heroes are obvious. But none are lost before you. Perhaps this morning, Lord, we need to acknowledge men and women who have been heroes in our lives never praised by the world. But you would point to them and say, admire that woman. Admire that man. And Lord, where you've brought those people to our minds, may we just acknowledge and thank you for bringing those people into our lives. And prod us, I pray, by your spirit to be faithful. Prod us to be faithful. Prod us to live with our eyes, not on what people think about us, not on what people say or don't say about us, but on that coming day when Jesus is going to bring everything to light. May we be faithful. Speak to us even right now in the silence, Lord. And bring hope 
into the hearts of men and women and young people that are seeking to be faithful, though unrecognized and unsung. And Lord, again, stir our hearts with the desire that you would point to us and say, well done. You're a hero in the eyes of the only one who ultimately matters. And we worship you, our Lord and our God. As we receive this offering, Lord, may we give out a thankful, grateful hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.